You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. So this is, uh, this is going to be Acts 4, verse 1 through 22. Dave gave me this uh, with a lot of hard names, so I'm sorry. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they, were, while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, uh, today, can we talk about when you've had it? Can we talk about that? Like when you've had it with a person? Ever had a a moment in your life when you're just, I've had it with you today? We're going to be honest in the house of God today. I I wonder if we could talk about a a moment when we've had it with an animal. Oh, that one went a little better. We can be a little bit more honest when we've had it with an animal. The animal just is not doing what you want the animal to do. It's showing up when you do not want the animal to show up, and the animal will not come when you want it to come. Uh, Can we talk about a moment when you have had it with the weather? 
I mean, let's just think together about how January 24th is going to feel when you wake up for work and you walk out of there and the South Dakota wind punches you in the face and everything you do not like. You do not like your job. Why do I live here? Why is this car not warmed up? Why is it freezing cold? Why is the steering wheel ice? Why are there other people driving to work too? And it's nobody's fault. You've just had it with the weather. Or maybe there's a, there's a company, there's a restaurant. We're not going to name any kind of names in the place today, but you know there are places you avoid because of what always happens. And you've just had it with them. You got a new garbage company because they couldn't get that thing dialed in and figured out. So you had them haul it away and now you don't have a green bin, you have a blue one. What's going on in the scriptures today is exactly that moment. That the leaders of Israel, they've just kind of had it with the disciples. The, the context of this is we talked about last week that there is a man for 40 years has been suffering. Not with a cold, not with a pulled hamstring, but with an inability to walk. And so what he would do day after day, time after time, is he would sit by himself outside of the temple. Outside of this gate, this eastern gate of the temple, the one that's called beautiful. And he would sit there and he would ask for money. He would plead for mercy. And Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray in the afternoon. And he asks them to do something for him. And Peter and John were probably like, hey, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. What happens? It's amazing. He gets up and he walks into the temple. And so the, the one who was known as the one who was outside of the temple, the one who was known as the one who could not walk, the one who was known as relying on everyone else, now, in the power of the Spirit and through the name of Jesus of Nazareth, is walking and he's doing more than that. He's leaping and rejoicing and people are like, what in the world happened to this guy? Because we know that when God shows up, when God moves, when God speaks, when God touches, when he stretch, stretches out his hand, What's beautiful about him is we get to see visible evidence of his work in the world. And of course there are times, there are moments, there are seasons, there are decades when you're wondering to yourself, is there anything that God's up to here? But the story reminds us of the goodness and faithful power in the hand of God. And it's not just a power he holds on to, it's a power he releases for the good and the blessing of people on planet Earth. So that's the context. So then the religious leaders are mad. They're upset with Peter and John. And they're like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. We don't like... They're creating a ruckus, as if we could use a word that my grandmother would use today. 
And that's not helpful. That's not helpful for things moving the way that the religious leaders want to it to move. And I'm sorry if I offended you by saying ruckus and use my grandmother. It's okay if you say ruckus. That's not meant to be a diss. But they're upset. They're done. They're tired. Of Peter and John and all of the apostles and disciples. And so they throw them in jail like you do. So there's a couple movements in Acts chapter 4. So here's the first movement. Verses 1 through 4, we see that Peter and John, they're arrested. They're taken into custody. And then in verses 5 through 7, Peter and John face questioning. Like the religious leaders are like, hey, tell me about what's going on here. Like this is the moment, what do you have to say for yourself moment in the principal's office, right? And then we have the response of Peter in verses 8 through 12. Like, Peter speaks. And Peter has spent some time in his life not speaking when he had an opportunity to. But then here, what we find is that he has a a witness, a, a testimony, a word to speak. What's going on here and why this is happening? And then the leader's reacts kind of in the last part what we're going to see in the book of acts we're going to see two israels like over and over again you're going to see an israel that has wrapped itself around everything going on in the temple so what really matters in life is the temple how we measure our faithfulness to god temple What does God want from us? Temple. Where should we go? Temple. But then you're going to see in Israel start to spring up that's more oriented around the Jesus way and not just around the temple. Not just around some kind of set of religious language, religious practices, but a group of people who are saying to other people, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk for crying out loud. Because he's come that you would do much more than just survive. John chapter 10 would say that the heart of God is that you would have an overflowing recognition of his grace and power and mercy. So we're going to see both of those temples spring up. And if you're wondering yourself this morning, like, ooh, is that a warning for us? Oh, it is. Absolutely a warning for us. Because we can orient ourselves around the temple, can't we? That that our greatest act of faithfulness to Almighty God would be showing up to a building. And we would miss all of the moments where Jesus himself would be pleased that we would walk in and through and by his name. And so two Israels. We have an Israel rooted in the temple. And we have an Israel start to spring up that's rooted in the Jesus way. Because you might be thinking to yourself, like, why are these religious leaders mad? Why are they angry? Like, why are they upset about a healing? Because it's beginning to disrupt the order of things. This is not how this is supposed to go. We're supposed to be in the temple. And we're supposed to do the sacrificial stuff. 
and we're supposed to come a couple different times a day for prayer. You're not supposed to be doing this. You know, we're going to see that play out over and over and over in this book. So let's talk about the opposition. There's opposition coming from 11 directions. Have you ever felt that way in your life before? It's more than a South Dakota wind in January that's coming for you. When I count, there's 11 different places that this opposition's coming. So on the left side, individuals. So we have the captain of the temple. There's like a police force in the temple. And then we have Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. But then there are groups of people who are opposing Peter and John and others too. So the priests and the Sadducees and the rulers and the elders and the scribes, when you hear the term Sanhedrin in the Gospels, you've ever wondered to yourself, who are the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin are all of those people, the priests, Sadducees, rulers, elders, scribes. Like people who were oriented around the things in the temple. So there's opposition coming at them from every direction. Something amazing happens to the people, though. Like the, the people listen to Peter and John. And they believe and they respond. They respond to this message. They respond to this healing because the healing isn't just for the man outside of the temple sitting at the gate called beautiful. The impact of the healing is for all of the people in the temple that God is doing a new thing. That his spirit has been poured out on his people. And he has good works for them to do. And the idea would be that we would walk in those things that he has prepared long ago. And sometimes to do that, what needs to happen is you have to step out of the temple. And this is what we see in this passage. The, the apostles become criminals because their message has disturbed the peace of Jerusalem. Like people are talking about it. Like, oh my goodness, did you hear what happened? Were you there? It was amazing. This begins to take root in Jerusalem. And you might ask yourself, like, what's their deal? Like, why are the religious leaders so mad? They're, they're mad because they are afraid that their power is starting to slip away. Because why? Because their identity is tied to their power. That as long as I'm in power, I know who I am. As long as I am the one that people go to, like, I know who I am. But if someone starts to go to someone else, I begin to feel nervous because I am letting go of this power and it's not by choice. Have you ever been holding a large load of groceries and it starts to slip? Can we talk about the feeling that rises up? I mean, you have, you're a strong person, so you can do two gallons of milk and you've got your car keys and then you have a child that's attached to one of your legs, and you're trying to open the door. No one's been in this moment but me. It's fine. <laughs> and it starts to slip. Panic starts to set in. This is what's happened with the religious leaders, the religious establishment of the day. 
but they're not excited about this Jesus of Nazareth. They're not excited about his message. They're not excited about the evidence of his message in the world, and they want to push it back. So why? So they can hold on to their power. And Jesus has some interesting things to say about power. It's interesting the moments that Jesus uses his power and moments when he steps back from his power, isn't it? Moments when he takes the very nature, not of a powerful person, but of a serving person. So he's willing to wrap a towel around his waist, and he's willing to clean all of the dirt and the muck and the stuff of life off of the feet of the disciples. The posture of Jesus in the New Testament is not a kingship rooted in power and authority, but it's a kingship that's rooted in authority and service. And this is taking root in the lives of Peter and John as well. Because no longer is the temple in Jerusalem the, the seat of power in the place of restoration. But what we get to see in the book of Acts is that Jesus becomes the focus of God's new temple. So instead of temple being the, the centerpiece of this way of life, that's where you go, that's where you get forgiveness. Jesus himself, through the cross, through this life and death and resurrection, is the center of God's new temple. Then there's this incredible promise from God. Going all the way back to Acts 1.8. You will have power. Let's read it together. If you've got your Bible on your phone, you can just, your thumb will take you there really easily. It's awesome. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and out of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so you will receive power. So if you are, are like me, you're asking yourself what kind of power. That's a great question. Let's talk about what kind of power. In the New Testament, there's four different words that get to be used for power. One on the left-hand side in the upper quadrant, the ability to do a task. This is the word that we see for this is dunamis. What's dunamis about, Dave? It's about the ability to do a task. And so when Jesus says, you will receive power, that's not like a one-time deal. Like, he's not talking about, like, for one moment in your life, he's, he's not saying, hey, it's going to rain next Tuesday. That's like a one-time deal. It's going to happen then, and who knows when it's going to happen again. No, but this is an ongoing promise. So dunamis, the ability to do a task. Let's, let's talk about the one across the way, authority, exousia. So you're going to, from God, receive the ability to do the stuff that he's asked you to do. And then you're going to have the authority in and through his name to do it. I mean, I have an office on planet Earth. And I have the keys to it. And it's my desk. And it's my chair. And I have my chair the way I like it. So don't anybody else sit in it. 
because then it gets messed up. I have been given authority for that place, and I belong there. And when Jesus says, you will receive power, you're receiving the ability to do the stuff you've been asked to do, and you're receiving the authority to do it. So you don't need to walk around planet Earth wondering if you have the ability or if you have the authority. Jesus, not me, has told you you do. So why do Peter and John stand in that moment? Because they know they've been given the ability to do this and the authority to do this. Let's talk about exerted power, kratos. That's like power made visible. Like that's like the, there's evidence around the power. You can see it. You don't have to imagine it. It's made visible. And the last one, ichus. It's overcoming immediate resistance. Pushing back right away. Not waiting for some other time. So Jesus says to the disciples and to us, hey, when my spirit comes on you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. So what's it mean to be a witness? All of these things. If you're wondering, how do I be a witness for Jesus in the world? Oh, that it would start with getting through your mind and your heart that you can do the stuff you've been asked to do. The ability to do a task, the authority to do it, the power to overcome immediate resistance, and the evidence that you have it in the first place. What's interesting, Luke chapter 12, Jesus has a really interesting, we'll call it, moment with the disciples. I'll read it for you. It's going to be on the screen too. Jesus says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. When, not if. So Jesus has a moment with his disciples and he just wants to remind them, when you're brought before synagogues, you imagine what Peter and John are thinking when they get brought before them? They're like, oh, he was, oh, I think he was talking about today. Yeah, he is. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourself, which that would be probably like our first move. Don't worry about defending yourself. And don't worry about what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So Jesus is expecting people who follow him to be in these kinds of moments. It doesn't say or mean that these moments are easy, that these moments are fun, these moments are enjoyable. We should repeat these moments just as much as we possibly can. But it means that we're going to have them. And it's part of the reason we have power. Because Jesus doesn't just give power to give power. He gives power so that his kingdom would come, so his kingdom would be revealed. And it would be advanced, yes, in people's hearts, and yes, in the created order. And yes, that it would push back against darkness. Jesus expects it to happen. 
Well, then the leaders have a question for Peter and John. By what power and in what name? Because they can't argue that the guy who used to sit at the beautiful gate is no longer at the beautiful gate. You can't do the little kid thing and go, uh-uh. No, he's not. You can't do that. Why? Because he's walking around, leaping in the temple, and everybody's praising God for what he's done. You can't argue with that. So what do they want to know? They want to know about the power and the name. By what power did you do this, and in whose name did you do this? And I think we live in a world where people have this same question. Like, tell me about the power that enabled you to persevere through that. Like, after the funeral, how did you do the day after the funeral? By what power and in what name? I think we live in a world where people want to know, like, how forgiveness was possible after what he or she did to you. Like, how did you forgive? By what power? And in what name? Like, that, that person in your family, that person that you are connected to, that you have been praying not for one day, not for a week, not for a month, but year after year, how did you persevere in that prayer for them? By what power and in what name? Like when people say all kinds of things against you, whisper behind your back all kinds of things, say things about you that are not true. Like how did you move through that time? How come you didn't fire back? By what power and in what name? And all of us will answer that question. The disciples, the apostles answer that question. In the name of Jesus and through the power of the Spirit. Like there's nothing important or different or special about us that we did the right words or we said the words in the right order so that this man's muscles and his legs suddenly became strong and he walked into the temple. It's no, it's because every curse bows face down to Jesus. Every lie bows face down to Jesus. Every darkness bows face down to Jesus. And you might be asking yourself, well, how do you know that? Because he says it in the very beginning of his story, let there be light. And let there be life. And so every lie in every darkness bows face down to the one who created all of this. So Peter says, salvation is found in no one else. Like there's no other name that can save you. So don't waste your time looking for it because you are not going to find it. And can I tell you this morning that I believe that actually this verse is a verse that at times we will disagree with. Because at times we like to be our own rescuer. We like to 
have independence. Like we like to be self-made with God's help. You know, I don't know if you've had this experience of going to a friend's house and maybe they've just worked on their house and they did re- 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 they redid the bathroom and the basement and all this stuff and you're kind of going through and you're like, oh, like, did you do this yourself? You been in that moment before? And it's not a bad question, it's just an interesting question that that's where our mind goes. Why? Because it feels good to do something yourself. Like there's a pride that comes with it. And all of you amazing people in the house today who can build amazing things that I will never build with my own hands, high five to you. But I think it's a picture of the way that our hearts and our minds and our culture works, that we feel best when we can be our own provider. And so Peter and John want to say, there's in no other name, not in one's own ability, not in one's own expertise, not in one's own experience, but in the name of Jesus. And it's through utter and true dependence on him that we live. So the religious leaders, they notice something about Peter and John. And we just have to, like, correct the record today. Because I don't know if you've been in a Sunday school class or a church service sometime, and the disciples are talked about as though, like, they're not very smart sometimes. That they didn't really know a lot. And part of that teaching comes from this passage. Ordinary and untrained. And I'm like, I don't know if you've ever caught a ton of fish with no fishing pole. But there's actually a lot of training that goes into that. What this verse is talking about is the truth that these men did not have a rabbi that they followed around and learned from in the same way that Jesus did. But what's said about them? Two things are said about them. That they knew the scriptures and they had been with Jesus. So they maybe didn't have all the training that you would expect somebody to have. Hadn't spent a lot of time in a Bible class, not a master's degree in theology or something else like that. But they knew the scriptures. And can I tell you, I'm convinced that it wasn't that they knew the scriptures so that they could recite all of the verses. But can I tell you that those scriptures found a way deep into their heart. That they knew it for sure. Like they didn't have to look at some notes to know it. Like something had happened to them. Like they had been changed. They had experienced transformation so much so when all of the religious leaders of the day, they bring him, they have to go in front of all of these people who had been trained in all of the law. They stand with confidence and assurance and authority that they stand in the power of Jesus in that moment. Because they're not the only ones who have stood in that moment before. I don't know about you, but this story reminds me of the book of Daniel. And there's a different kind of king. There's a different kind of authority structure. 
and these young boys from Israel are brought before the king. And they're not doing what the king wants them to do. And the king lets them know, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, it's not going to go well for you. We'll just say that. And there's an amazing verse in that story. They turn to each other and Daniel says, we believe that God has the power to save us from the mouth of the lion. We believe he has that power. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to the statue that you have set up. So our faithfulness to God is not contingent upon him doing the thing we want him to do. But it's contingent upon a knowledge of who he is and what we've been called to. So Daniel also knew the scriptures. Like, oh, that we could be a group of people who could know the scriptures like that. Not in such a way that I would point to you and ask you to tell me what Daniel 3.17 says. No, but that you would know within here what God has said about you, the power he has given you, the place you've, he's, been given, he's given to you in his kingdom. So that when you stand before somebody who wants to tell you that those things aren't true. That there's lots of ways to live in this world. That there's lots of truth to hold on to. You know it's been spoken over you. And then the second thing, that it's been obvious that they've been with Jesus. In the same way you encounter someone and you can tell by their face they didn't sleep well last night. Things didn't go great. It's evident. And it's obvious. And you don't need them to describe it to you because you can see it. Like this would be God's heart for the church. That we as a group of, like it would be obvious. Like we've been with Jesus. And there's a knowledge we have about his good news in our lives. I don't know the last time was that you went to Subway. We're going to invite the band up as we close today. But something happens when you go there. Like there's an aroma to that place. You know what I'm talking about. And that aroma gets to be your roommate for several days. And you encounter someone who has been there, it's obvious that they've been there. Many of you can smell that smell right now as we're talking about it. And I guess my question for the church today is, is it obvious to other people that we've been with Jesus? Or do we have to explain that we've been with Jesus? My contention is that there's a lot of people, people in the crowds, people who do not know Jesus, and that their experience with people who do know Jesus is that those people do a lot of explaining about the fact that they've been with Jesus. That we've done this, and we've done that, and we've done this other thing. 
And it's actually not obvious that we've been with him. And what powers Peter and John when they're in the middle of the conversation with the religious rulers. It's the fact that they've walked with Jesus. It's the fact that they've watched him be in a moment like this. And it's that power and that authority and that grace that rooted them in that place. So church, can we be a group of people who know the scriptures not for a prize, but know it deep within us so that in the darkness, we're able to recite it. We're able to say that we know it's true. We've experienced it. And as Hebrew says, that it becomes an anchor for our very soul. And then, is it obvious to others that we've been with him? And what would it look like for a group of people to take seriously those two things? To take the scriptures seriously, what God's done, what he's promised, how he's moved, and then take seriously the impact of all of that on the world so that it would be clear Subway, a day ago. It would be clear that you've been with him. His spirit has done something in your life that it's obvious, that it's clear, that it's that power is made visible in Jesus' name and for Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you today for the book of Acts. We thank you, God, for the way that your spirit empowers us, for the way your spirit pushes us, for the way that your spirit reveals something in us. God, thank you for Peter and John and for their example. And God, for all of the people sitting here today who are in a very real way experiencing deep and abiding opposition in their life. I pray that they would know today that they're not the first people to experience spiritual opposition. They will not be the last, but in a very real way, they stand shoulder to shoulder with Peter and John. And that you have promised them that they would be recipients of power. Power to persevere in prayer. power to resist defending themselves, power to claim and remember and declare to themselves what is true about them and the words that you have spoken over them in a way that is evidence of their knowledge of your promises to and over them. And that that kind of posture in this world would create picture of followers of Jesus where it's just clear and it's obvious to people around us that we've been with him. That his spirit has been placed on us and his power and life flow in and through us so that we are empowered to speak into the lives of other people 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up with me and walk. We pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more song together today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.